This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you love listening to podcasts, why not take part in our current survey and share your thoughts? It only takes five minutes and you could win one of seven £100 Voucher Express gift cards. To access the survey, just click on the link in the episode description. Please note the prize draw is open to UK residents only. Full T's and C's are available in the survey link and it will be available until 11.59pm on Sunday the 16th of May 2021. This is Disasters and Triumphs, a new podcast brought to you by Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Deputy Editor and host of the podcast, and in this series I'm inviting some of our favourite people from the food world to share pivotal moments in their careers. I'll be asking about first steps, inspiring people they met on the way, and what it felt like when success arrived. We'll also explore the flip side of that and talk about tougher times that knocked them off course, how they got back on track, and what they learnt as a result because sometimes failure can be just as inspiring as success. This episode, we welcome Zoe Ajonia, chef, author, and culinary consultant to the podcast. After cooking up her famous peanut stew to sell at Hackney Wicked Festival back in 2010, she started a monthly supper club at home to help fund her way through creative writing MA at Goldsmiths. Street food, catering, and pop-up restaurants as Zoe's Ghana Kitchen followed in London, Berlin, and New York. And in 2017, she published her first cookbook of the same name. In 2020, Zoe co-founded Black Book, a global representation platform for black and non-white people working within the hospitality and food media. This year, her cookbook, Zoe's Gone a Kitchen, has just been reprinted, and her new podcast series, Cooking Up Consciousness, is launching very soon. Welcome, Zoe. Hello, Janine. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Um, it's also the second time you've been on the podcast. 
you first came on in 2017 to talk about your book um, and I listened to it again yesterday. God, going back to 2017, those heady days when we actually sat in a room together. Um, and it's a great listen, loads more detail on the book, gardening, cooking and some great stories of you visiting your family back in Ghana. So if anyone wants to go and find it, uh, check it out. It's episode 51. Um, normally kick off by asking what the pivotal moment was when you knew you wanted to work in food. And interestingly enough, when I got in touch with you to ask you about doing the podcast, you said, um, I didn't choose food, it chose me. So can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, well, the truth is I was fighting this as hard as I could for a number of years, actually. Um, I mean, the story of Hackney Wicked, how this all started is well told, but I'll try and keep it brief. Um, I, I basically got back from traveling around the States in 2010. I, um, I was freelance, whatever I was then. I think I was doing, um, I was a freelance copywriter and I was also a freelance um, video producer for an air sports company. I've had so many weird jobs. Anyway, I had a lovely time and I came back broke because it was such a great time. And, you know, Hackney Wicked was going on here doesn't exist anymore but it used to be this big open arts festival and Hackney Wick at the time was um you know a super vibrant creative place that nobody came to <laughs> it was an industrial estate full of you know artists and writers and stuff and it was the weekend so the whole point of Hackney Wicked is it's an open arts festival weekend so my studio where I'm sitting now my flat my home was being used as a video gallery, basically. And at that point, there was no furniture. There was no nothing. It was a literal white cube. Um, and, you know, all these people were descending on Hackney Wick, but there were no bars or cafes or anything. So I thought, oh, here's an opportunity to make some money. So that's what I did. I tried to make some money with um, a pot of peanut butter stew, which is what launched the business. But at the time, you know, I had zero interest in even though there was a lot of people wanting me, even off the back of that first event, which was a runaway sellout success, much to my surprise, people were, were wanting for that event to happen again, but it was another year before I did it again. And then even then I was still hesitant and I was starting my MA at Goldsmiths and I basically used the supper clubs at my house to finance my way, to support myself through the masters. And even then at the end of the masters at Goldsmiths, I was trying to escape to Berlin but I thought, oh, I'm in Berlin. I might as well cook to make some money. So I took a residency in Neukölln at the Werkstatt der Kultur in um, Hermannplatz or thereabouts. And then, you know, lots of German press had descended on my kitchen in Berlin. And suddenly, you know, it was just went crazy really quickly. And so it was the universe that made, you know, just wouldn't let it go, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so it was more that the universe brought it to me rather than in terms of a business but obviously I've, I've always cooked and I've definitely was since I was knee high to a grasshopper always been interested in and cooking um whatever Ghanaian ingredients I could get my hands on so it was a gradual the universe knocking on your door saying hi yeah it's me I mean, again. It became a bit of a standing <laughs> joke because you know I kept saying I'm moving to Berlin but I'd be back every two weeks to cater an event or do a supper club or be at a festival or something and I think it was around 2013 I finally decided to come back from Berlin. You know, and I, I mean, it was a gift at the time. I couldn't, I had the best years of my life. I was reading and writing and cooking. That's all I was doing. And it was, it was bliss. <laughs> it was my, literally my dream life. Um, but just because 
you know, it had grown. Ghana Kitchen had started to get a name for itself. It was being blogged about. It was in the press um, quite a lot. And I just had to think, okay, what is going on here? Like, this is obviously a business. Why does it need to exist? Like, what's the problem that it's trying to solve or the universe wants it to solve? And, you know, the edit edit at the time was bring African food to the masses. And of course, I had to translate it all in really easy, consumable language. But the real mission was always about opening people's hearts and minds to a conversation about culture and race and identity and the politics of food, because, you know, my whole existence really is is brimming with politics (laughs) and um, you know, injustice and social justice have always been causes dear to my heart, and food became this vehicle to to to, to introduce people to those conversations. Was there anyone you know in your career, say from when you you said two thousand thirteen when you started properly doing it as a business to now, who was a particularly inspiring or a mentor to you, or someone that you kind of felt like really helped you on your way? Now, when I think about who were um, important in inspiring people in in my journey, um, specifically in food, you know, I was looking mostly to the States, I suppose, because, as I said, nobody was really doing contemporary West African food in London or the UK at the time. I think the only people I can reference who, who were an, of a similar nature to me back then were um, Eat Joloff, which were a catering company. Um, a very good catering company but they weren't in the same kind of space as I was and they weren't quite doing it in the way that I wanted to but in terms of um, who can I think oh so sorry the states so you know people like Brian Terry like Afro that book Afro Vegan was hugely inspiring Um, uh, Jessica Harris High on the Hog and all of her work around food and explaining the relationship between Africa um, and African ingredients and black food in America. There's there's two standout people there. I mean, I guess at the time I probably thought of um, Marcus Samuelson as a bit of a potential inspiration. Ironically, some people might be surprised to hear Jamie Oliver. When I decided that this was a business. I wrote my business plan on the fag packet, you know, after a supper club with a scar hanging out my mouth. That's who I was then. Um, and me and my friend Yasser Khan, um, who also designed the look and feel of the brand back then, um, we were writing like, well, what could it be? And I said, well, everything that Jamie Oliver's got, why couldn't I do that for African cuisine? So there was nobody directly in my my field of vision who was feeding me anything but I was certainly getting inspired by what other people had done with food and when it came to writing my book I mean Sabrina Gale's um, Persiana was a very strong reference point for me as well in terms of the look and feel of it and the tone for the book so yeah there's been definitely various people who I've picked influences from along the way but no direct mentor so to speak and the few people that I did reach out to um, whose names I won't share here, because that might be embarrassing for them, um, you know, didn't ever respond or reply or had the time. And, you know, I, I understand we're all, as an entrepreneur, you know, I understand how busy we can get. So, um, so yeah, I, but basically I was running under my own steam thereabouts pretty much, but that was a good place to be because I was out of that space of comparison, which obviously is the fear of all joy. 
yeah. the not the fear, the death, the death knell of joy, isn't it? Comparison. So in that space, I might have not had direct mentors, but I certainly had guides and reference points points in terms of what the, the brand could be. I was gonna say because of your because of your, you know, good and bad experiences in reaching out to people and getting some help and then in other cases not getting any help is it has it become more important for you to be a person that someone up and coming Absolutely, can come to yeah. and ask and be kind of be that mentor be that inspiration exactly I mean that was quite a lot of the inspiration for black book which also is born out of my experiences in America where there is just such a wider um black and POC convergence in food um and just more resources and better support networks, but also spaces that celebrate the black voices uh, in food and also platforms the questions. And, and when I'm, I should mention some platforms rather than just saying what they do. So spaces like Black Food Folks, um, Radical Exchange, Resistance Serves, um, <coughs> gosh. She Chef, um, Just Call Me Chef. Um, there's so many. But and then also the queer spaces like um, Queer Soup Night and things like that. There, there, there was just so many more um, spaces aggregated for people to who were other than white to be represented and network and have a voice. And I wanted to bring some of that to the UK because it was sorely, sorely missing. But um, I wasn't able to do that until, ironically, the pandemic killed my catering business um, and freed up my time. <laughs> I was going to ask you about, and, and this is probably going to be a hard one, about success and the concept of success and what, what it means for you. Because obviously you've got so many different levels going on. What what is what what is success for you? It's it's been a journey, honestly, because when I started in this food game, success for me was being able to write, read, and make money cooking food. I was having a very successful few years. Um, then the cookbook came out, and suddenly success looked a little bit different for me because I was in a different, a really different environment. Um, I was kind of in the industry now and that meant that well, I didn't mean anything but where I was at the time I, I kind of fell into this trap of comparison um, and feeling like I needed to compete in that space with other do you know what I mean and, and there's no one else to blame for that it's just the environment of and also where I was in my head at the time I suppose but you know, and I opened Brixton and I put myself under a lot of stress and pressure saying yes to everything that was coming my way because I felt like that's what I needed to do to be successful, right? <laughs> um, and then I had a massive burnout in 2019 and following that I had to, well, I, I had space and time to reflect on success and where I was in my career and what I wanted to do and, you know, was I was I fulfilling the purpose? Um, was Ghana Kitchen fulfilling the purpose that it was set out to do? And I realised that it wasn't actually, you know. And I'd gone off in all these myriad directions, um, chasing success. So success now for me is very much, and I'm not saying that I've nailed it on the head, but I try to view success in the moment 
um, that I'm in, you know, very literally. <laughs> um, so success changes almost every day. You know, so I, I try to keep, I, I don't try to have grand ideas anymore about what success is and looks like. Success for me is as if I'm happy. Um, if I'm feeding myself, if I can pay my rent, if I can pay my bills, if I'm able to, if my work in some way um, inspires somebody or helps somebody or guides somebody. And I do a lot of actually, I do a lot of coaching and like free mentoring and stuff like that on the side. Um, and I love doing that because, you know, as I've already said, there wasn't anybody there to help me when I was asking people for that support. So when people ask me, I really do try to make the time to respond and give them as much of, of me as I can um, without having to charge them. So, you know, it's, um, and I love that. So that success for me now is like having, um, building a legacy where I guess it's, you know, my, my ultimate success in five years time would be having a nice farm to table concept. Um, that's West African under the Sankofa Monica and, you know, chilling, chilling out, um, reading and writing again, you know, and then cooking on the side. Stick around for more inspirational chat, stories and advice from Zoe. And on the flip side of success, um, this podcast is called Disasters and Triumphs. Um, would you be able to share an obstacle or a disaster, something that a difficult time you faced? When I review the last 10, 12 years of being a, in the food industry, and, and then when I review even before that, the last 30 years of being in the working world, um, you know, whatever was a failure or didn't go very well, ultimately was a, 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 a was a transformative moment, you know, because I, I mean, I bang on about this a lot, actually, but, you know, it's, it's when you're down in the weeds, um, is where the growth happens, you know, it's getting through the pain points where you learn and without learning, you don't grow. So whatever they were, and there were millions of them, <laughs> you know, I'm here today because I survived them. Um, but yeah, I think it's the, I think the, the, the really big one was being in hospital in 2019 for 10 days in intensive care and not even seeing it coming, you know, and just realizing that you know, I'd been really abusing my body um, and my health emotionally, mentally. I was really depressed, actually, in 2018 um, and 19. I had two difficult years there financially. And, um, you know, I was, I'm sure you know this, but I'm in recovery. And, you know, I was drinking a lot back then and relying on other things to yeah, get me through whatever the stresses were. But yeah, being in hospital, I think in 2019, that really just floored me and made me have to just um, reevaluate everything that I was doing and how I was doing it and who I'd become because I, I didn't even recognise myself anymore. Really, oh. what was the um, di- what was the what were you in hospital for? What was the diagnosis? Yeah, well, they thought I had meningitis. 
it was basically it was the back of I just got back from the last festival of the season um which was um it was a really good one actually it was it was our best one of the year that year but what what was happening was I was short of staff and I was driving back and forth every day to wherever that festival was which is somewhere in Northamptonshire or somewhere it's like four hours outside of London so but I was working in between right on at the pitch so I was basically awake for 20 hours every day um and not eating properly and you know drinking beer for breakfast as you do at festivals sometimes and then you know driving with no sleep and what anyway my basically they thought I had meningitis and I got rushed to hospital and da 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 and a lot of tests later like lumbar punctures and x-rays and all manner of tests were done on me and they couldn't figure it out but ultimately it was just that my immune system had pretty much collapsed and just was like I can't do anything else you just have to just (laughs) lie down for 10 days basically um but as I say, it was a huge gift because that 10 days is like, wow, what is happening? Like, how did you get here? You know, and I had to think about lots of things. I had to think about who I was as a leader. Like, why hadn't I managed to create a, a team by that point who who could have helped take some of the burden? Why wasn't I vulnerable enough to ask for help? Why had I, you know, why was I so undercapitalized still 10 years later after I started that business, which I bootstrapped? Um, why wasn't I feeding myself? You know, why wasn't I exercising properly? I was really fit in one sense of the word, but, you know, I was really, because I, you know, and I still can carry 20 kilos of cal of gas over my shoulder, which most men can't. <laughs> I'm very strong. So, you know, but um, so as I say, that was, yeah, that, that hit me hard because it, it not just on my personal health but also just like it fanned out into all the other parts of my life that came under review um and you know and like not seeing my niece for me I've missed all of her growing up all that time and family time and friends they all just gave me perspective and made me want to do things differently in 2020. If you were going to go back and give any advice to Zoe Mark One in say I don't know 2010 11 what what advice would that be get some help (laughs) (laughs) don't do this on your own you mad bitch um yeah to 2010 11 zoe i would be i would say actually and here's the thing because i had lots of help in 2010 and 2011 actually it's not like i didn't have help like all my friends were working as waiters and waitresses and help you know they were all so supportive in those first couple of years I think what maybe I would say to myself then is um build a team strategically you know like you can't do it on your own and you need to build a team that you can trust um and who who know more than you that was the other problem you know I was always hiring people who weren't qualified enough for what I needed them to do because I never had the capital to hire somebody who knew more than me. So it was always kind of in on the back foot constantly and my time was always consumed with teaching rather than letting anybody flourish in what they were good at. And I just didn't have that infrastructure. So I think getting the right team 
from very, very early on. I mean, I, as I say, I relied a lot, probably too much on, on friends. And what I needed to do was build, build a team. So I think, yeah, I would say to that, you know, just trust people and be vulnerable and ask for help um, when you need it and build a good team around you of people who you respect and love and be kind. I asked you for a recipe um, that you make when you want to kind of soothe and comfort yourself and you took us back to the beginning. So um, ground nuts stew or soup is in my house growing up it was called peanut butter stew and that was it. It, it was it was and is delicious so it's basically um, and it can be vegan I will say that but traditionally in our home growing up it was always made with mutton mutton on the bone or lamb on the bone so you get all that beautiful marrow and collagen and flavor going into it and then it's like this it's just an amazing balance of spice savory sweet it's piquant the smell is incredible it's so comforting to eat it's like every on it, i mean i've said this time and time again but it there's so much comfort in eating it it feels like you're literally being hugged every time and I can't eat it fast enough. Even now, when I made it, I mean, I just, I just filmed a thing my mom, with my mum, actually, for um, an online platform. And at the end, they were like, I'll taste it. And I couldn't stop eating it once I started tasting it. It's just um, a really, really incredible dish, obviously filled with nostalgia for me because it's so integral to my childhood memories of food and my um, early relationship with Ghanaian food. But it is just a treasure trove of delicious. It's just amazing, you know. Have you adapted it much since you, I mean, because obviously you said you used to make it growing up with your mum. Have, yeah. you, have you adapted the recipe from when you first started making it? Do you know what? I think I've probably things? got about 10 or 12 good versions of it now, vegan and otherwise. Like there's, there's versions where I like roast the bones before I make the stock or I make... Um, you know, with different kinds of vegetables, with different kinds of peanut butter, like or like cashew butter or almond butter, or um. But it's you know, I mean, me and my mum talked about this again because we were just filming it the other day. The truth is, is doesn't matter how fancy I try to make it. The principle is just the same, really. It's like one pot of, um. And that's why I love it as well, just because it's so accessible and such an easy recipe. But you just put everything still into a pot at the end of the day, you know, and just the longer you cook it, the more delicious it will be. The next day it will be better again. And the third day, if you've still got any left, it would be great then too. I love that though. And it is a, it's kind of a taste of home. And it's, it, it, as you said, it's really kind of, it's really accessible. And when we talked on the last podcast about your about your book there's there's so much of it in there which will take you on a little journey but there's lots of great starting points that people can get involved with it um the book's out now isn't it the reprint of it is Zoe's yeah, Gone Zoe's a kitchen. Gone a kitchen is available now to buy. and i think everyone should go and buy it because it's a beautiful book <laughs> thank still. you so much yeah um, i mean i hope so because I, that's what i did want from it you know i didn't want it to be um I wanted it kind of it just it's, I think people think it's a weird thing to say, but I almost wanted it to be a coffee table book. Like, it, of course, I wanted people to use it to cook from, but I just wanted it to be, it to be an inspiration mainly, and like a, a reference, a, a tool, like a resource to access Ghana. You know, it's like 
just make it as easy as possible for people who aren't familiar with it to to get some um to dip their toes in I suppose and for then for people who were familiar with it to just understand a bit more detail about the ingredients um and also how to cook it themselves because you know the other thing about this kind of indigenous cuisine is like it's handed down orally like the recipes are sort of imbibed or in the same way that you know nobody taught me how to cook it I had to stand next to my dad and watch and observe it wasn't like um, a taught lesson um, and I think that's a lot of experience because the matriarchs hold hold you know the, the recipes have been t- told given orally or just by osmosis you know so I think a lot of I mean in fact I know I got so many emails when the book came out the first time around from Ghanaians around the world saying thank you even for recipes like corned beef stew which definitely only latchkey Ghanaian kids had for dinner but um, people were really happy to see it there because it's like yes I I grew up eating that same thing as well after school Um, and that makes obviously brings me a lot of joy yeah is that is book number two on the cards or are you not allowed to tell us or god you'd think so wouldn't you by now but um yeah i would <laughs> um i whether you... i have i've got i have put a treatment out there for um a work which is um it is a cookbook but it's more of a collection of other people's recipes more than it is a collection of my own recipes and you know it's just not really about me anymore janine i'm trying to platform um other people and give other people a stage to stand on and just still um you know I'm passionate always and will ever be about Africa not just Ghana and West Africa but all things Africa and giving the the chefs from that continent whether they're in the diaspora or still in the continent themselves um a much needed spotlight because we're still we're still got a long way to go I mean I noticed a couple of uh, Dueva and Michael Legby and Selassie I think those three chefs made it into the world's top 50 or top 100 chefs whatever those lists are that circulate around um, which is great to see but there's many more many 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 more you know um, who just don't have the profile that they deserve really and I want to get I want to help. Where's the best place for people to connect with you so they can find out what you're doing what you're working on I guess there's always gone a kitchen.com yeah. is a good space on yeah, your com, which is now an online um, single origin spice store from West Africa. We're going to be introducing some grains and other bits and pieces very, very soon. Um, or at Ghana Kitchen on Instagram or at Zoe Ajunya on Instagram, if you can tolerate my sweary mouth. I swear a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, you've managed, podcast, you managed to hold my podcast coming out in uh, yeah. mid-May, Cooking Up so, Consciousness, which is also a, a clubhouse. If anybody's on Clubhouse, please follow Cooking Up Consciousness. I'm going to go and investigate that. That'll be available on, on all popular podcast platforms. Thank you so much for coming to chat to us today. I'm aware that we've run over time as well. So I'm going to say goodbye and, um, and just thanks again, Zoe, and really good luck with everything that you've got coming up. Um, listen thank you so much for having me and um, yeah always a pleasure to work with Olive all things Olive so yeah thanks thanks very much for having me back you've been listening to Disasters and Triumphs an Olive magazine podcast series 
To find out more about the series, including the recipes we talk about in each episode, visit olivemagazine.com, where you'll also find our huge back catalogue of over 200 podcast episodes. Don't forget to subscribe at Acast, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. Thank you.